Good morning, Christ Church. As many of you know, and for anyone who does not, our senior rector, Father Cliff Warner, is on sabbatical, and we're about halfway through that time. He'll be returning to us in the fall. And our associate rector, uh, Matt Dampierre, is on vacation for a few weeks as well. So we are uh, excited and blessed to have some guest speakers and preachers in these weeks. And today I'm privileged to introduce to you and welcome up in a moment Corey Tabor, who is with us, who's a familiar face and longtime friend of Father Cliff's and of Christ Church, so we're excited to have Corey with us to preach. Corey's been a pastor. He's, been, uh, he's worked in the nonprofit and education sector for a long time. He's a life coach. He's an author of a very interesting book I'm looking forward to reading about purpose that connects, I think, with some of my work and, and vocation that we care about here at Christ Church. And he's a mentor and speaker to many. Corey is married to April, and they have two daughters. Uh, Corey, a few times back when he was with us, I think it would have been right before I was hired, January of 2019, he was here to actually speak on the subject of the sanctity of life. Now, that's not his subject today. Uh, We didn't know that the Supreme Court uh, was going to rule on Friday, and we didn't plan for that. He'll talk about a text and something else that's on his heart. But it, it brings to mind, and it's appropriate right now in this moment, to acknowledge the significance of what's transpired um, on Friday. And I just want to make a few comments about that and then lead us into prayer. I think that's the best place to begin. That's not all that we're to do, but it is where we start. And then I'll have Corey come up and I'll pray for you uh, before you share it with us. As Christians, we begin with the gospel with the good news that Jesus Christ has shown us God's love and affirmation, our value, each of us individually, and has affirmed life. This is what grounds our conviction that all of life is sacred and that none of us is worthy to decide who lives and who dies. This is for God alone. For this reason, you could say we are, as Christians and at Christ Church, we are pro-life. But that term has many connotations many partisan associations. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be pro-life as a Christian? Does it mean that in most cases we are opposed to abortion, that we don't think that's the solution? Yes, it does mean that. It also means that we are opposed to other things that are violent, that are harmful, like war in many cases, like death penalty, like slavery in all of its forms, Perhaps also end-of-life care issues like euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. We have at least many questions about these kinds of things. To be pro-life is not merely to be against, it's to be for. It's to be for family, to be for parents, to be for mothers and fathers, to be for women, to be for women, to be for immigrants, to be for refugees, to be for humanity, to be for the care of the vulnerable, to be for the care of the vulnerable with good health care, with good child care, with good economic support when needed, however, however that gets provided, by government or by other means. So yes, the Supreme Court ruling does come as a relief for many of us who are committed to the defense and dignity of all human life and the protection of the unborn. But this decision and the political climate is complex. And some are distressed by this. Many are worried about the potential of criminalizing women who are living in difficult and crisis situations. Many are worried about a winner-takes-all or win-by-whatever-means kind of politics that seems to be gripping our nation and how this moment could be used to further divide us. 
So that is why we as people of faith, we must remain unambiguously pro-life in the broadest sense and committed to the dignity and sanctity and inherent value of human life at all, at all stages. This is, this is hard work. This is God's work. And we're privileged to be called into it, to participate in it, and to trust God with it. This is how the gospel gets lived out. So I invite you to pray now with me. God of justice, God of mercy, God of all goodness, you reveal to us in your scripture and above all in your son, Jesus Christ, the inherent value of all human life. We believe that you call us to promote and respect the sanctity of every human life from conception to natural death. Therefore, Lord, we seek, we desire from you and we praise you for the protection of the vulnerable, particularly the unborn. Lord Jesus, we also repent. We repent of the ways that we have not loved our neighbors experiencing unplanned pregnancy. We repent, Lord, of any ways that we have stigmatized those who have experienced unplanned pregnancy or who have had abortions. Lord, we commit ourselves to serving parents, mothers, and fathers alike so that they can embrace parenthood and embrace motherhood and fatherhood and welcome their children. Mobilize your church Mobilize this church, Holy Spirit, to meet the needs, to meet these needs with planned resources and support. Let us continue, God, to care for and minister to those who suffer from the effects of abortion in their lives. Show us your healing, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your abundant life. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Corey, would you come forward? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for our brother Corey, for the blessing and gift that he is, and for his voice, for the way that you've ministered to us through him in the past. God, we ask that you do that again right now, that you'd speak to him, reveal more of yourself and of your word to us, guide us and instruct us through this word, Lord, we pray in your good name. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I've stated consistently since the beginning of the pandemic, I, like David, will always now say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Watching church on screen is amazing, but it is not the same as being in the house of the Lord. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for um, communicating that, that message of unity. I think around this issue of life, uh, as much as I am one who believes in the value of life, I am understanding the perspectives that many have and trying to be empathetic about where they're coming from as compared to being condemning about what they're experiencing. And so I think that we as a church have an opportunity right now to demonstrate God's love in a significant way, not only in uh, what we say, but more importantly in what we do. And so uh, today I'm, I'm going to speak from a text that I was given months ago. And so uh, that will not be the topic of our text today, but I did want to want to share that and appreciate that the church has made a strategic choice to speak about it. Uh, to be honest, life is all about choices. Um, as people who are created in God's image, one of the components that makes us unique as a species is our ability to make real and rational choices. Research shows us that the average adult makes, listen, 35,000 choices a day. 35,000 choices a day. What are we going to eat? That's a choice that causes many challenges in relationships. Uh, what are we going to wear when 
we say we have nothing in our closet, though we have more clothes than we can imagine. What are we going to purchase? What do we believe? What jobs and career choices will we pursue? How will we vote? Who do we spend our time with? Who will we date? Who will we marry? Uh, what we say and how we say it, whether or not we would like to have children. What will we name our children? What, who will our children spend their time with? What will our children eat? All of these choices being made on a daily basis, and each choice carry certain consequences. They can be good or they can be bad. And the ability to choose is an incredible and exciting power that we have been given by our Creator. And we have an obligation to be a good steward of those choices. Experientially, we know that our first choices often impact other choices. Every day, we have to make a decision to choose God first. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, choosing God first. Not as an afterthought or an emergency intervention, but as a priority. Choosing God first. I often say in other countries they trust God differently than we do because we don't need God. We have credit cards. We don't need God. We have insurance. We don't need God. We have 401ks. We don't need God. We have marriage counselors. But many people around the world, God is their only option. And so their faith levels, in my opinion, seem to be higher. But we can make a choice on a daily basis to choose God first. So in the psalm that was read earlier, Psalm 16, we see David's prayer. And he's choosing God first in three specific areas of his life that we can all learn from. The first one is that he chooses God as his protector. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. As you know, David spent much of his early adulthood on the run from King Saul. And as God was positioning David to be king, he learned early on the value of choosing to allow God to be his protector. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take my refuge. He's literally asking God to protect his life and all that is connected to his life. He's asking God to be his refuge. He's asking God to be his shelter from people, from problem, from pursuance, even from the politics of his day. In the 35,000 decisions that we make every day, we have to choose to invite God to be our protector. That needs to be a priority. So we pray, God, protect me as I travel. Protect me as I work. God, protect me as I play and protect me as I rest. God, protect me as I learn. Protect me from sickness and disease. Protect me from pride and independence. Protect me from the enemy. God, protect me from me. God, protect me. In verse 2, David allows God to be as protected by acknowledging God as Lord and leader of his life giving up the reins of his life, which we so easily want to hold on to. And part of the way we receive the protection of God is to literally let God be God and let him lead us while we choose to be his people and follow. I don't know about you, but what I've discovered in my 20-something years of being an adult is adulting is hard. And I tell my kids all the time, enjoy being a kid. Enjoy knowing that you're provided for. Enjoy knowing that somebody else is paying the bills. Enjoy knowing that this home is provided for you. Enjoy being a kid. And God is saying, David is literally in this passage is saying, God, I take away my need to protect myself. I'm letting you be my protector. 
In verse 2, he also acknowledges that he has nothing good in life apart from God. This is a deception of the enemy to make us think that we can get good life without God. The reality is it is easy to pursue good things without God. It's even easier to pursue God things without God. There was a Chinese pastor that came to America, and he visited a number of churches, and they asked him, what most impresses you about the American church? He said, I'm so impressed with how much you guys can do without God. An indictment on our dependence on ourselves. We think if we can read the Bible 15 minutes in the morning, pray for 15 minutes, worship for 15 minutes, and not cuss anybody out by noon, that we've had a good spiritual day. But all of that can be done without God. We have to be ever so careful and consistently submit it to the will of God so that we can make choices to embrace that God is our good thing. And all good things that we have only work with God. Marriage doesn't work without God. Loving people doesn't work without God. Giving of your time, talent, and treasure does not work without God. In verse 3, he acknowledges the protection of God through community. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are all excellent ones in whom is all my, all my delight. God wants to use our brothers and sisters in the body to encourage us, to challenge us, to pray for us, to hold us accountable to God's calling on our lives. This is God's protection because it is not good for us to do life alone. Without community, we become the idolaters that David compares the saints to in verse 4, where he says the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, and their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David is saying, I am choosing another way. I'm choosing to follow God first. And in a world with so much, it's easy to make idols of little things that are not God. We can spend hours worrying about mass shootings or sickness like cancer. We can spend hours worrying about the evil we see in the world on a daily basis. Or we can choose God first and invite God to be our protector, making him our leader, acknowledging the good things that he's done in our lives. We can choose to be in community and find refuge in him because it's his job to be our protector. Secondly, we see that God is our provider. David said, God is my provider. We read that David is making God his provider. And the imagery of verses 5 and 6 are images of provision. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is choosing God as his provider to provide food and drink, as well as the land that can produce food and drink. Um, he is trusting God to mark out the parameters of his life today and the parameter of, of his life for his future. He acknowledges the inheritance that God is giving him, and he attributes it all to God. That's the key. If God is going to be our provider, God has to be the reason we have what we have. He has to be the reason that we get what we get. He has to be the reason that we are where we are. It is not because we're smarter. It's not because we're wiser. It's not because we're whiter, blacker, cuter, uglier. It's because he's God. And as we see the economy shifting with inflation and higher gas prices, increased interest rates and home prices, we have a choice to make. Do we trust God or the government? Do we trust God or our good financial strategies? Do we trust God or ourselves? David is saying, I trust God with my past, my present, and my future. 
As far back as 1864, the phrase, in God we trust, began being minted on coins in America. And in 1955, it became the national model and was passed as a rule for it to be on all of our printed money. Every time we hold a dollar bill or we hold a quarter, we're reminded we can choose to trust God. The older saints in my church growing up would say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I didn't know what that meant at four years old, but at 45, it makes a lot more sense. God is our provider. And finally, God is my peace, David says. Verses 7 through 11, the third choice that David makes is to choose God as his peace. Last time I was here, I talked a lot about anxiety and depression and how many in our society are dealing with it. What I've discovered in my time is that peace is priceless. Not a MasterCard commercial. It's, 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 it's priceless. David says he receives peace because the Lord is giving him counsel. You think your counselor is good. Try God. David receives peace because his heart instructs him after having surrendered his heart to the Lord. David receives peace because God's presence is in his life. He says, God, I put the Lord before me and he's at my right hand. David says, I will not be shaken. In fact, his heart is glad and his whole being rejoices and his flesh is secure because God is his peace. He knows that he won't be abandoned because of Christ, the Holy One. That was a prophetic word that said that his body would not be corrupted. He says he knows that God is going to make his path known. He, he, he knows the fullness of joy is in the presence of God and that eternal pleasures are at his right hand. Peace is an invaluable resource, particularly in a chaotic world. And David has peace because he's built a relationship with God as his peace. The passage that we read earlier in Galatians chapter 5 it's so apropos to where we are in this season of life. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He goes on to say, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are not free for freedom's sake. We are free to be able to love other people. I don't own my freedom for me. I use my freedom to bless other people. That's one of the challenges I feel like we have in our nation is we want to own our freedom and make it benefit us, not realizing that God is calling us to use our freedom for others. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under this law. And he goes on to talk about what the works of the flesh are. And then he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning they will not experience God's rule and reign in their lives. It doesn't mean that people who struggle with these things won't experience eternal life. It doesn't mean that they can't be in a relationship with God. It means that they won't experience God's kingdom, his domain over their lives. I love this where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is what I've learned when it comes to submitting to God as our provider, our protector, our peace. Choosing God first. I cannot produce spiritual fruit in the flesh. I cannot white-knuckle love long enough. I cannot white-knuckle peace long enough. I cannot white-knuckle long-suffering and self-control. All that stuff, you can't do that in the flesh. But when we walk by the Spirit and we submit to the Spirit, gentleness is how we respond to divisive political issues. Kindness is how we respond to people who cancel us. Goodness is how we treat people who don't deserve it. Faithfulness is how we respond to a God who is faithful. When we choose God first as our protector, our provider, and our peace, we can walk in freedom by being led by the Spirit. Our family just got back from a vacation this past week, and my daughters, who are eight and three years old, don't fully know how to swim yet. And There's a long story about why that is. But um, while we were on a vacation, we are very committed to them using flotation devices when they're in the water for an extended period of time. And um, my youngest has floaties that go on her arms and one that goes across the front. My, my oldest wears an actual life jacket in, in, in the water. And so they're kicking their legs and they're swinging their arms and they're saying, Daddy, we're swimming, we're swimming. I say, yeah, baby, knowing all along it's the flotation device that is keeping them up. And I just say, keep on swimming, baby, keep on swimming. But I know they had help. But they think they're swimming. Friends, when the cares of life come in like waves, I know that I have help because God is my flotation device. God is my protector. God is my provider. God is my peace. It may look like things are fine on top of the water, iceberg below the water is the stability that comes from choosing God first. When we were on the plane and they say, before we land, if we happen to land on water, your seat will serve as a flotation device. I always wonder, what if we don't land over water? (laughs) But over water, the seat is a flotation device. And I want to challenge you today to let God be your flotation device, not just when you're starting to drown, but when you get in the water of life on a daily basis. Give God permission to be your protector, your provider, your peace. God, thank you for the truth of your word, this prayer that David gives us in Psalm 16. God, help us to release the reins of our lives and allow you to be leader and Lord and give you the ability to be the God that you are, who protects, who provides, who gives peace. May we depend upon you and rely upon you even more today. In Jesus' name, amen.